0: Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of February 13, 2020. It's membership time in ACB, and affiliates and chapters are busy recruiting new members and encouraging past members to renew their dues for 2020. If you live in Kentucky or within 25 miles of the Kentucky border, or if you've lived in Kentucky in the past, we invite you to become a KCB member. Dues are just $8 a year, or $40 for a life membership. KCB also has eight chapters, and we encourage you to become part of at least one chapter of your choice. Our regional chapters are Eastern Kentucky in the Jackson Hazard area, Greater Louisville, Northern Kentucky in the Covington area, and the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired in Owensboro. Our special interest chapters include Guide Dog Users of Anna, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision, KCB Next Generation for members under 40, and the Tri-State Library Users. For more information about KCB and our chapters, give us a call at 502-895-4598. My husband, Adam, and I are also very much involved in three ACB special interest affiliates, ACB Lions, ACB Families, and the Library Users of America. ACB Lions meets the first Thursday of each month by conference call and encourages people who are blind or visually impaired to become fully involved in their local Lions Clubs. ACB Lions holds a lunch and a program and business meeting, and our Millies place pin swap at the ACB National Convention. Dues are just $15 a year, or $150 for a life membership, and membership is open to all current and past Lions, as well as individuals interested in becoming Lions. ACB Families holds two conference calls each month. Our Pure support call is on the first Sunday of the month. Sometimes we have a speaker, and other times we hold lively discussions on topics of importance to families. Our business meeting is the third Sunday of the month. ACB Families is planning three events at the 2020 convention. A breakfast with a program and brief business meeting, a bingo, and a campfire sing. Come join our ACB Families. Dues are just $8 a year. The Library Users of America invites you to share good books at our bi-monthly Library Without Walls conference call. Members receive our magazine, the Lua Ledger. Lua sponsors the Talking Book Narrator at the ACB convention. This year, it's Aaron Jones and also holds informative programs and workshops at the convention. This past Tuesday, Lua hosted Karen Kinniger, director of the National Library Service Braille and Talking Book Program, on our first membership focus call. Over 50 people participated in this excellent presentation. Lua membership dues are $12 a year or $150 for a life membership. For more information about lions, families, or Lua, and to pay dues to one or more of these fine organizations, give us a call at five o two eight nine seven one four seven two. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind held its winter quarterly meeting on February seventh. The dinner at the quarterly was as usual outstanding spaghetti, garlic bread, salad with homemade croutons, and cheesecake for dessert. The speakers were also especially interesting, and we share their remarks with you this week. On page 2, you'll hear Terry Turlow, a GLCB member who is a guide dog user and a participant in our local Bicycle and Pedestrian Safety Committee. She'll discuss current problems with the configuration and location of accessible pedestrian signals. Then on page 3, John Mills, an assistant chief of police for a community in the Louisville metro area, talks about scams and ways to stay safe and on page four is the sound prince calendar page two. First of all everybody
1: i'm going to be asking you guys some questions and you're going to answer by clapping now we as a blind overall blind community over the years have done tons and tons of real piles of manure shaming one another without maybe without even meaning to but sometimes meaning to about mobility that is not what i'm doing that is not what my questions are about as blind people we most of us have had orientation and mobility training most of us have learned stuff some of us have found ways to use it in our lives, some have not. There is no right or wrong way for a blind person to travel. What is important is that people do what they want and get where they want to go, the way they choose and are able to get there. So, we are gonna dispense with, we've got this huge, huge backhoe in this room you picture a great big backhoe? And we're gonna bury all the manure that we have dumped on one another or that others have dumped on us about crossing streets, walking with the cane, walking with the dog mobility. Is that okay? Given that, I'm gonna ask some questions and there are no right or wrong answers, just what you guys do. How many of you cross streets with traffic lights in the course of your life? Clap your hands. Okay. How many of you can see well enough to see the walk sign most of the time? Clap your hands. Good. Okay. How many of you largely use your hearing to determine when you have the walk light? Okay. Cool. So, the deal is there are a couple things that have changed since we had O&M back in, for many of us, back in the olden days. First of all, this is just a little aside, but without a traffic light, if there's a stop sign or a crosswalk with no traffic control, they used to say what? That you could cross when it was silent. Y'all remember that? Yes. That is no longer true because the noise level in the world has gone up a tremendous amount the background noise, and quiet cars, and a lot of other factors. So now, if you're at a street that does not have a a walk sign, you, you need to listen and gauge how long the typical gaps are. If gaps are maybe four or five seconds, you probably don't have time to get across that street, even though it's silent at the beginning of a traffic gap. Y'all know what I mean by traffic gap? Yes, no? Yes, no? Yes. yes. No? Any no's? No. Okay, cool. No no's? Well, a traffic gap is when there are no cars passing in front of you. So, remember that silence is not the golden rule anymore. You really have to pay attention to typically how far away you can hear a car. Because if you can only hear a car when it's four or five seconds away, and it takes you seven or eight seconds to cross the street, you've got a problem, particularly if the car's in the far lane. Does that make sense? Yes. yes. Okay, cool. So, now, we have always been taught that you cross with your near parallel traffic, that is in the absence of an APS. So that APS, by the way, is what we have the, with the locator tones and then it says, you know, the, the audible signals. They're really called accessible pedestrian signals because they contain more than just audible information they, the, the button vibrates when the walk sign is on so that people who are deafblind can also use them so APS is the traffic engineer lingo for accessible pedestrian signal and if you're ever talking about wanting one that's, that's the best language to use your near parallel traffic if you're standing with your Everybody, you know what a parallel street is? Yes? Okay. Perpendicular street? Yes. Okay. So when the parallel street is on your left, your near parallel traffic will be coming from behind you, on your left, going ahead of you. That's pretty easy to hear. But let's hop ourselves over to the other side of the parallel street. Now the parallel street's on our right the near parallel traffic is coming toward you from the opposite side of your perpendicular street it is in the lane nearest you in terms of where it's going to wind up when it passes you but it comes toward you Now we're assuming two way streets here so you've got to it's important to pay attention to your near parallel traffic because sometimes other things happen when your far parallel traffic is going on things that you don't want to cross in front of. So now let's talk about turning traffic. A lot of people say, oh, we used to do real well until we had Turn Right on Red. Well, okay, Turn Right on Red can pose some problems. But what, what frightens me when I hear people say this is I think they're, turning, they're talking about turn right on green. Let's picture this. You got a perpendicular street in front of you. Your parallel street, let's put it on your left to make it easy. And the parallel traffic's gonna come from behind you real close and go straight ahead of you on your left. Most of the time, barring various kinds of track variations, but let's just assume, and it's always safest to assume that those cars coming from behind you on your left, going straight ahead of you, are allowed to turn right in front of you. That's not turn right on red, that's turn right on green. And sometimes they're not allowed, but to be safe, always assume they're allowed to do that. That way you're listening for turning traffic. If you have a dog, your dog will stop for it, hopefully. But if you have a cane, I mean, when I use a cane, I have to, we all have to listen for turning traffic. Now, a car, should they turn right in front of you and block you? Of course not. But are they likely to? Yeah. So that's turn right on green, turning parallel traffic that's parallel to you that turns right in front of you in that near lane, right by you. There's another kind of parallel traffic. Let's hop over to the left side of the parallel street. We Jumped. So now we got the parallel street is on our right, and we got our perpendicular street in front of us. And remember that our near parallel traffic is coming toward us in the closest lane to us on the the, uh, parallel street. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's the parallel street is on our right so the traffic's coming toward us. That traffic just assume, because we don't we're not going to memorize all the signs and all the different phases of a, of a light cycle at every light we cross. Assume that that traffic is allowed to turn left. Meaning that if, as you cross a street there could be cars in the far lane turning in front of you. Sometimes the parallel traffic on your parallel street that's behind you on the far side might also be allowed to turn left. So what, what this boils down to is always assume that there can be traffic turning in front of you, in the near lane, and also in the far lane. And if you assume that and listen for it, you're going to be safer. Okay. Now let's talk about actuation and buttons. Actuation refers to the fact that nowadays, in the last 20 years, well before this, we had traffic lights that were timed. We had a walk light maybe for 30 seconds and a don't walk, and a, you know the, the cars, could, the green light for cars was 30 seconds long, then there was a couple seconds of a yellow, maybe five, and then a red light for cars, and that also drove the walk. Don't walk light because sign. Because we'd have the walk light maybe for 15 seconds and then the finish up light sign for another 15 so you had 30 seconds to cross the street always. So whenever you heard that parallel traffic, that meant you could cross. Ain't so nowadays. And I think we all know why. Let's all say why. Why? <laughs> you got it. There's one in every crowd and we have five. <laughs> okay. Why can't we rely on timed traffic signals now? We can't because now computers have two different ways of measuring how many cars are waiting to cross your... It's based on weight. Exactly, based on weight. Our traffic is controlled by a big computer system. And the computers know what... How many cars... Let's say you're waiting. Let's put the parallel street on your left perpendicular in front of you and let's say the perpendicular street is pretty busy so the computers want to give the busy street as much time for those cars to go as possible but let's say two or three cars come up on your parallel street and are waiting so that they get a green line to cross I mean to go, you know, to go forward through the intersection there are two ways that the computers know how many cars are sitting there waiting? One is some streets have little um, basically they're scales underneath the street. They're, it's not exactly a scale, but it's, it's a, it does the same thing. So the computer knows how far back how much weight is it. knows how much weight a car is. And so it says, oh, duh, hey, there's three cars there. Now, some other Traffic signals, instead of having the weight, the scales under the street, they have cameras up on top of the pole that goes across the street up high. Those cameras see the cars and tell the computer how many cars are waiting. So, this, this type of signal is referred to as an actuated traffic signal. The computer may say, Oh, I've got three cars waiting to go forward through this busy intersection. So, I'm gonna give them a green light for 12 seconds, because that's about how long it takes three cars to get through the intersection. Then I'm gonna change it back to, so they have a red light, and the perpendicular street can, busy street, can start going again. If you don't know that, and you don't know to look for a pole with a button, you hear parallel traffic start, it's your near parallel it's on your left, you're cool I'm going. 12 seconds later, you're just about in the far lane you know, it's a kind of wide street and all of a sudden you got traffic going in front of you left to right in front of you right to left in front of you, left to right behind you left to right in front of you I've been there, I've done that before I knew about actuation and it ain't a cool experience right? so If you're not familiar with an intersection, always look for a pole with a button. Why? That button is called a ped call button. Pedestrian call button. That when you push the button, it tells the computer, duh, I'm walking. I need longer than any of these cars. So, when you push that button, usually in the next as as you get the next chance for cars to go through the intersection, your parallel traffic, you will also get a walk light which gives you the pedestrian length of time which is usually in the neighborhood of 26 to 30 seconds. If you don't push the button when an intersection is actuated, you could wind up roadkill. So always, if you're in an unfamiliar intersection, always look for a button. The world does some bizarre things. Occasionally, there are actuated intersections that don't have buttons. And these are, it, probably they don't have walk lights either. So pedestrians are probably not supposed to cross there. But you don't, You may not know that. So always t- spend some time looking... Around the intersection on the edge of the curb for a pole with buttons. Occasionally the pole with buttons is back along the grass shoreline of the curb. We're now now let's talk about accessible signals. Why do we need them? Well, it really helps to know for sure that when a street is actuated that we actually do have the walk light. The accessible pedestrian signals tell us that we've got the walk light and walk, the, I believe that, don't we in Louisville have the hands as our walk, our, our hands, who, who can remember from seeing the walk signs, aren't they usually the hand? Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Okay. When the walk is white, the walk is
1: red. Right. Well that's true. but the walk sign itself this is not the this is different from the green light that tells your parallel traffic it can go or the red light that tells your perpendicular traffic it has to stop there's a specific signal for a pedestrian and it's usually a hand and in Louisville and the hand is still for the first this is rough but 7 or 8 8 or 9 seconds of the walk cycle that means hey it's cool to leave the curb now the hand turns red. That means it's cool to be in the street and finish your crossing, but don't start now. You aren't gonna have enough time. How do we know this? Well, we can, if we have an actuated signal and find the pole, find the button and push it and there's no accessible signal there, we can hope and guess that the next time after we press the button that we get parallel traffic, nine times out of 10, we also have the walk sign. That tenth time is fun because traffic engineers now have started sometimes if there are a couple of cars that have been waiting to go parallel to you for some time, they'll let those cars go through without a walk sign after you've pushed the ped call and wait a whole other light cycle to give you the walk light. So we just are going to believe that that's happening up in some of the busier east and west coast cities where I've heard about it, and not here. Accessible signals truly should exist anywhere we have an actuated signal so we know exactly when it's a walk light versus when it's just, hey, I'm letting three cars through. Sadly, they cost about $5,000 to install. And so we're not gonna get them everywhere. The world just isn't gonna do it. So we need to pick places where we we go and where we really need them. Some places where you really need them are places like um, a mall where at the, at the light that lets you cross the street in front of the mall, there's a driveway to your left where all the cars turn right to go on your perpendicular street. They're allowed to do that when the light turns green and you have the walk sign. Pedestrians who see, when they see the walk sign and they see this whole barrage of cars ready to turn right, they wave, they make eye contact, and they boldly step out into the street. Well, I'm not about to do that unless I'm 100% sure I have that walk sign. And I can't be 100% sure if as soon as the perpendicular traffic stops, all the cars start turning in front of me. So... Those are the kind of places when it's really impossible to cross if you don't know that you've got a walk sign. If there is a person who's been in correspondence with the pedestrian and bicycle committee of the, of the Clifton Community Council, Dirk Goen, and I have his email address, I'm going to say it right now, Dirk is interested in knowing where we need accessible signals if the city owns the intersection, the city takes care of them. If the state owns the intersection, the state takes care of them, but Dirk has said that he'd be willing to help us figure out who to contact. Dirk's email is, everybody wanna write it or record it or whatever or I can tell you or maybe Carla might wanna send it out or whatever. It's D-I-R-K-G-O-W-I-N at Louisville, Kentucky all spelled out dot gov G-O-V in correspondence that happened in the bicycle and pedestrian committee of the Clifton Community Council, Clif- well it's Clifton and Clifton Heights combined uh, committee um, several of us proposed places that we really felt like signals were needed, one being uh, Cannon's Lane in Frankfurt. Because there's so much going on at that intersection, it is bloody and, well, difficult to tell when you got the walk sign and that intersection is so up and it's difficult to find where the darn pole is and then try to get your line of direction back to cross the street. Another place is the mall place I mentioned, the mall at St. Matthew's, where all the cars turn right up at the light. And you cannot cross it. It would be so nice if you could, because then you could go home after you shopped. I also suggested one at Shelbyville in Breckenridge. It's actually a pretty pedestrian-friendly intersection in terms of the traffic patterns. A lot of turns are not allowed. You can get some far-lane turn traffic, um, and you can line up with the button. But it, because it, the intersection is so wide, and the line, and you, and it's you don't want to line up with your parallel, you have to line up with the perpendicular street. It would really help to have them. Okay, I'm done. I've said a whole lot, and I would be glad to talk to anybody privately about this stuff. One of the re- my my reason for learning about it was that I got stuck the first time I got stuck. In the perpendicular street by my partner complex when i should have had the light and all the cars were going behind me and in front of me left to right and i thought oh my god am i ever going to get across here in one piece and decided i better figure out what the heck was going on acb has been very very proactive about this they've had um books prepared and all kinds of stuff over the years so bill back to you page three uh,
2: John Mills is here. He is assistant chief of Graymore Graymoor Devondale Police Department. And John has been active in police work for many years. I'm going to say somewhere near 40 years, I think.
3: 47. 47! Whoa! Thanks Deb. Um, I'm here tonight to uh, maybe just share a few things with you and then answer any questions that you have about uh, security and uh, how you can make yourself safer uh, want to talk uh, uh, a little bit about situational awareness um, one of the things that uh, unfortunately happens in our society is that people pray on other people uh, and if they can see an advantage uh, whether people are um, not sighted uh, blind then they will do that um, and the thing is if somebody knocks on your door and you don't know who they are and you can't see any identification from them uh, you need to get a number uh, the call to verify their identification. Uh, Don't just take their word for it. Uh, There's too many uh, people out there who are trying to take advantage of other people. The other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, these phone calls, these scam calls that keep going around. Uh, If the IRS calls you, hang up. It's not the IRS. The IRS does not call you on the telephone. If the IRS has any business with you at all, you will get a letter. It's the same way with Social Security. Uh, Social Security will not call you and tell you that there's a problem with your account and that there is a warrant out for your arrest. And if you don't go down and buy some gift cards or give them your bank account number or a credit card number uh, that the police are going to come to your house and lock you up all right that's a scam they call me okay Uh, I enjoy talking to them because um, I just I string them along I talked to one guy for 27 minutes And at the end of it, uh, I said, well, that's 27 minutes that you didn't get to call somebody else. Uh, So, uh, yeah, don't don't pay any attention to these uh, telephone scams. Uh, I don't think they're going, uh, it would be nice if I could tell you that they're going away, that, you know, the government's going to step in, the government says, I'm here to help you, but... The reality of the, the situation is these robocalls and these scam calls are not going to go away. So just be, you know, just be really aware of who you're talking to. Uh, and, and don't be afraid to call the police. If someone comes to your door that you don't know who it is and they say, well, I'm from the water company and we got a report that there's a water leak in your house or I'm from LG&E and there's, uh, we're having problems with the electricity and we need to come in your house and we need to check this or check that, Uh, you say, well, just uh, hold on, shut the door and lock it, and say, as soon as I verify the information, I'll get back to you. And you can either call uh, LG&E's main number, or you can call um, the non-emergency number for the Metro Police, which is 574 2111. 574 And I think everybody knows what the emergency number is, and that's 911. You've got a real emergency, dial 911. There are a lot of people that dial 911 that really don't have an emergency, but what it does is it ties up the trunk lines for 911. Uh, probably a lot of people don't realize, and I had a background when I was with the Metro Department and the Louisville Department. I had a background in establishing, I was on a committee that established what is now Metro Safe. There are only so many trunk lines that run into Metro Safe, Metro Safe Dispatch. And when we have a natural uh, disaster or something like that, those trunk lines are all used up. I mean, it gets really busy down there. They only have a certain number of call takers. They can only take a certain number of calls at a time. So if you don't have an emergency it's and you just need to, to have an officer come by your house, that 574-2111 uh, is the number you should be calling. Uh, does anybody have any questions about security? Yes, ma'am, right over here.
1: they are a police officer and you can't see their badge is it appropriate to call that 574 number to verify
3: absolutely okay yeah absolutely because if you call that 574-2111 they can look right away and see if a car a police car has called out at your address or if in fact they were dispatched to that address uh, if they're on a self-initiated run if they call off There's something going on in the neighborhood. They see it. They call off on it. They're still going to have a record of that. It's going to be on a screen, and they're going to be able to see it. So, absolutely.
2: My question regarding safety or whatever is in this state, you know, I'm just wondering about taxis. Is it true that the state's allowed to hire illegal immigrants to be taxi drivers because, you know, they can't even speak English?
3: well, any anybody anybody that has to uh, anybody that has a driver's license in this country, has to pro- has to provide some sort of documentation that they're they're in this country legally. Uh, they have to provide that to get a driver's license. Now, it may seem that they're they're, they're here illegally, uh, but uh, you'd be surprised at the number of people that I pull over. Uh, that can't hardly speak any English at all, uh, that, that actually have a driver's license and now if you go to the driver's license bureau to get a driver's license they will administer the test to you in different languages as long as you recognize uh, what, the, uh, what the various shapes of the street signs are, stop signs, yield signs, uh, those kind of things they will administer the test in in their native language now, obviously they should be speaking and understanding some English because most people in this country are not bilingual and so they need to understand where you want to go
2: John you were saying about the uh, scams there are calls that I get quite often and probably people in the room do from someone saying I'm with the Disabled Police uh, Association or I'm with the um, Police Fraternal Order of Police, we're doing a fundraiser for our policemen. Um, I always hang up on those, but I would guess those are a scam. Uh,
3: Here's here's the thing about uh organizations that call you that are representing the Fraternal Order Police or the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office or whoever those are those people are in a boiler room uh, and they have been contracted by a chapter of the FOP uh, to raise money Uh, Most of, uh, for example, RFOP, River City Lodge 614, we don't use those because one of the reasons is they're really pushy. The other reason is when you contribute to them, you're not contributing directly to your local lodge. You're contributing to them who then give the local lodge a percentage of what they raise. So, when they, I, I get those calls too, Debbie. Uh, you know, and, and I've even told them at times, look, I'm a police officer, I'm a member of Fraternal Order Police. Well, don't you want to donate? I said, no, I don't. <laughs> I said, why should I give you my, my money when I can donate directly to my lodge? I'm, I'm not giving you a percentage of my money. First
0: of all, on, that, um, on those donations, uh, John I, your your comments are just right on and I don't know if the percentage is today what it used to be but it used to be 80 percent to them and 20 percent to the fund
3: so yeah, that's that's about right yep
0: yeah they're allowed to go up to 80 percent um, by law at least they used to be so believe me they do um, I, I wanted to ask you back to your comments about the people getting the driver's license. Um, do, you know, we hear a lot about people having the fake IDs and things like that. Do you see uh, a lot of that here, especially with Louisville getting more and more people that are, you know, immigrants? We didn't used to have hardly any, and now, my goodness, I don't know. Uh, the last time I heard, there were like 41 languages and rising, they were being taught in the public schools. So, um, do you see a lot of illegal are uh, or, or a lot of fake IDs.
3: Well, what I see a lot of in my everyday job, uh, and it, it's mostly uh, Hispanic. Uh, they'll hand me a, a, a fake Mexican driver's license or they'll hand me uh, an international driver's license. Now, the thing with an international driver's license is it has to be accompanied by a real driver's license. They'll hand me a, an international driver's license and expect me to, to go, oh yeah, well you're okay. No, it actually says on the international driver's license that it must be accompanied by a valid driver's license. Uh, there, was a, there was a place out on Preston Highway that was turning out uh, Mexican driver's license one of the dead giveaways was they all had local addresses on
1: them.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was in Spanish, and uh, you know, it, it looked pretty good, but they were fake, uh, especially when you looked at it and they had local address.
1: Could you comment on body language and other kinds of ways of moving about if we're out walking and we want to give the impression that we are aware and alive and not a good, uh, not a good weak person to pick on by predators?
3: Yeah, and I think uh, it it all boils down to confidence uh, when you're walking. Uh, if if you're walking, if you're walking upright and you're walking straight. Uh, even even if uh, you can't see very well or can't see at all, uh, the person who's watching you doesn't necessarily know that. So while you're walking, you know, and and if you're using a cane or if you have a guide dog like uh, Debbie and Deanna, who are both members of our church. Uh, it, it, you know, even if that, you know, just just kind of turn and look to the side when you're walking. Uh, you know, or if you hear something behind you, just turn around and look. You know, so if somebody looks at you and they see that you're aware of what's going on around you, and it doesn't just your eyesight, you know, just use all your senses. Use all your senses, your hearing, your smell. You know uh, sounds that you hear uh, things that are familiar to you and then if something is unfamiliar to you uh, then you need to stop and have that investigated or call us
0: this has not happened recently but um, i guess two or three years ago uh, we had a couple of things that at first i didn't think there was a problem And then I decided there could be a big problem, and I wasn't sure I was doing the right thing about it, but I did it anyway. Um, We uh, went outside one day into our backyard, and we have a garage behind, you know, on the back of our property, and um, oh, several years ago, there was, uh, somebody said, oh, there's graffiti on there. So we cleaned it off, and a little while later, a few months after that, go outside and there's um, something up on the side. Let's just, I've forgotten what it was, but let's just say it's um, a round uh, circle. uh, Well, circle would be round. Um, Let's say uh, something that glitters. Okay, so take it off, get rid of it, few months later, we walk down Vernon, and on our front rail is a hat hanging there. And I'm thinking, you know, um, I think somebody's marking our house. And um, remove the hat. Uh, It might be another few months, and there's something else that appears somewhere on the property. What would you do? I mean you have no idea where it came from? Um, you know it could just I don't know. I mean it, there was no explanation and that hasn't happened for a long time but you hear all these stories about people you know kind of saying okay, this is going to be where we meet or whatever and um, So what what would be the appropriate thing to do if that happens?
3: Well um first of all um are they coming into your backyard is that what you're talking about on your side of the fence
0: Um, yeah they would have to come onto our property in order to put something where where the where the graffiti appeared Uh or to put the item to stick the item up where it could be seen Uh, with the exception of the cap on the well even on the front rail they would have had to come up our steps to hang that cap on that front rail. Okay. It was like a toboggan. They would have to come up our front steps to hang it on the rail. Okay. So, yes, they had to come onto our property. But who knows how long it had been there before we found it.
3: Right, right. Um, well, I can offer uh, a couple of things. Um, the first thing that comes to mind uh, is uh, camera. Um, and you could uh, have a sighted person help you set them up and it's not necessary that you see it but it will record it records in a loop
2: Mm
3: -hmm. uh, on an SD card Mm -hmm. Uh, I have them in my house Uh, the wise cams are like 20 bucks 20 or 25 bucks Uh, and they hook to your Wi-Fi Uh, you can access it from your phone and So it just records in a loop. So when you find something like that uh, call the police Have them come by and have them look at that time stamp where there was motion and where somebody came into your yard and put something on your fence or spray graffiti or left a cap or something on your front porch um, outside of that, um, I really don't have a good answer. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, my, my my house, I have cameras on my two front doors. I have a camera on my back deck, and I have cameras inside the house. So, yeah, and and you can you can set them for um, alerts on your phone that will alert you when there's motion so it, there's different settings that you can set the camera uh, so and and they re, they record 24 7 and they just overwrite the sd card but the minute that if you select tell me when there's motion on these cameras or which camera it is it will send it to your phone and say, We just detected motion on your front porch camera. So and that's something that you don't need to be cited to to be able to, to use.
2: My question is, are you aware of any walls or what have you uh, you know, a lot of people have ring doorbells and yeah. home security cameras? Are you aware of any Laws or regulations on those, you know. Particularly, I mean, that's one thing if you're a private homeowner, but it's another thing if you live in a communal property like an apartment or a condo.
3: If you want to put a ring doorbell up, uh, you're you're perfectly legal in doing that. There is a. I live in St. Matthews, and uh, there is a community group uh, in St. Matthews uh, called Five O. Uh, that uh, they share ring doorbell videos. Uh, if, if they have somebody prowling in their driveway at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, they can upload that video to uh, uh, St. Matthews 5 and you in the area can, can see it. If you want to participate you can subscribe to it there's no charge to it all you have to do is just upload your video and say yeah I had this video but as far as any laws regulating uh, ring doorbells uh, there are none out there Uh, not at least not at this point I I can't speak to homeowners associations I I don't really see um, I really don't see any violation that the HOA would have in place if you had a a ring doorbell. Just in general terms, uh, do you find that uh, disabled people are preyed on a little bit more or less than the general flow of crimes in the the, uh, community? As far as phone scams are concerned, probably about the same. Uh, because they don't know whether they're calling somebody who is blind or whether somebody who is sighted. So it's probably about the same. Uh, in the general public, uh, probably preyed on more. Uh, you know, and I'm, unfortunately that's just a sorry fact of life and a sorry statement on our society today uh, about the kind of people that, that we have. Um, okay, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, if you if you need anything else, you can uh, talk to Debbie or to Deanna because uh, I see them all the time. Thank uh, you. What... for coming?
0: <laughs> Page four, the Sound Prince Calendar. Please note that additional committee meetings and board meetings are announced on the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org and following the event link at the top of any page. On February 15, Savvy will go bowling from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. Central Time at the Bowladrome at 600 East 14th Street in Owensboro. Register by calling 270-686-8689 by noon on February 14th. Savvy will pay for rental of up to two lanes. The cost of additional lanes will be divided equally among participants. Everyone is responsible for shoe rentals, snacks, etc. February 16 is an ACB Families Business Meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712-432-3900 and entering code 796096. February 17 is the KCB Board Meeting. At 8 p.m. by phone, dial 669 900 and enter code 3572-595193. On February 19, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have a conference call support group at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This will take place on the Zoom line at six six nine nine zero zero six eight three three. The access code is three five seven two five nine five one nine three. February twenty one will be a GLCB roundabout, education and technology from three hundred thirty to five PM, a presentation by Kathy and Tom Arnold about how they recorded their CDs from five to six, dinner six to seven and a gospel sing from 7 to 9.30 at United Crescent Hill Ministries on State Street in Louisville. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. February 22 to 25 is the ACB Leadership Meetings in Alexandria, Virginia. For more information, visit the ACB website at www.acb.org. February 22 is a mixed-media mosaic workshop from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind. The guest artist is Patrice Ising. She returns to help us explore how the elements of art appeal to our senses of touch and sight. Mosaics are an ancient art form, generally made from chips of colored stone or glass that reveal a picture or pattern. Our mosaics will combine textures and layers, shapes, and forms to create beautiful, one-of-kind tactile art pieces. Free, limited space, best for adults and children 6 and up. Registration required. Call 502-899-2213. On February 22, ACB Next Generation will hold a Saturday Night Live Hangout. At 8 p.m. Eastern Time, by phone, For ACB members across the country who are age 40 and under or anyone else who is interested in finding out more about the group, the number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. On February 23, the KSB alumni will hold its February board meeting at 8 p.m. by phone at 605 475-6006, enter code 294444. February 24 is the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana Membership Meeting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On February 24 is the Savvy Budget Committee Meeting. Visit the website for more information. February 26, BCB Lunch and Learn, 12 to 2 p.m. in Lexington. The program is Mark Armstrong from the Helen Keller National Center. He will present on resources for older adults with combined hearing and vision loss at the BCB Community Room, 1093 South Broadway, Suite 1220 in Lexington. For more information and to sign up, call 859-259-1834. February 27 is a Savvy Dine-Out in Owensboro from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Central Time. More details coming soon. Call 270-686-8689 for more information. February 27 is another in-person low vision support group sponsored by the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision. From 1.30 to 3.30 p.m., At United Creston Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598. On February 28th, Savvy will have a workshop from 10 to noon Central Time at the Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church, 1215 Sherm Road in Owensboro. Call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689 for details. And on February 28th is the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout. Education and Technology from 3.30 to 5.00. The Tip Sheet from 5.00 to 5.30. Page Turners 5.30 to 6.00. Dinner 6.00 to 7.00. KCB Next Generation Activity Games and Crafts from 7.00 to 9.30. For more information and to sign up, call 502 Eight nine five four five nine eight. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org.